Welcome to Broken Catholic, the number one Catholic voice in America. Why? Because I speak about the things that no one else is talking about, the things that matter to you most. Things like why the world isn't working right now, because we all get it's not working. There's too much hatred and divisiveness. Even as believers, we're fighting each other because we have different points of view, different opinions, yet we're all worshiping the same God. Why are we fighting? I don't get it. We also tackle the unspeakable topics that you may secretly struggle with but won't admit. Today is one of those topics. We're going to get into it. I'm super excited about the show. I'm your host, your coach, your friend, Joseph Warren. I'm also a broken Catholic and former atheist, and I was almost murdered twice, but God spared my life because he had a higher purpose for my life, and I believe I'm living that now. This show was created for you, the person that wants to be loved, that wants to be accepted, that wants to be reminded that God has a higher purpose for your life. If this is your first time joining us, thank you for being here. And if you're one of the tons, the tens of thousands of people in over 34 countries and spreading, right? It keeps growing. It's awesome. Who listen to the show every single week. I just want to thank you and acknowledge you for being here every single week and listening. The show doesn't happen without you. Our goal is to get to 60 countries and spread God's message of love, his compassion, his forgiveness, and his transformation. So with that, today our featured guest is Matt Nelson. Matt is a Catholic apologist and a best-selling author uh, for CatholicAnswers.com. If you're a, one of my Catholic brethren, uh, then you probably have heard of CatholicAnswers.com. And I'm going to get right into uh, a little bit of the subject matter. But before we do, um, Matt, first, welcome to the show. Uh, go ahead. I know that was a tiny intro, but I actually want you to fill in some of the gaps in that intro. Share with us something personal about you that very few people in your business life know. Okay. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on the show, Joseph. Um, this is going to be a, a fun, I'll say hour. We'll see how long we go here, but this is going to be a fun, a fun chat with you. I know that. And uh, wow, right off the bat, something that people don't know much about me. Well, I, I honestly think that a lot of the people in my business life just don't know a lot about my broken past um, mm. after, and we might get more into this later in the show, but that's the title of my show. So you better believe we're going to get into it. <laughs> I thought this might be relevant, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I grew up in a religious family uh, raised in the Catholic faith by two loving, faithful parents. Um, but off to university, I went and things kind of fell apart in my spiritual life. And so I eventually came back to the faith about eight years ago at the age of 25. And uh, so, yeah, I think that broken past of mine uh, is probably something that a lot of people don't know about me. So let me, let me start with that. Yeah, absolutely. And and give me literally like two sentences. What's the vision or the calling God's put on your life? Yeah, I think that God has called me to be one worker in the culture to bring conversion and hope to people in this broken secular society and, and culture and to reorient people towards the big questions of life and ultimately the answers to those big questions, which I believe lead people to the fullness of life and faith in the Catholic church. Mm, I love it. All right, let's get down to business, Matt. All right. Why do you think the world isn't working right now? Well, I think we're, just too closed in on ourselves like right off the bat just thinking that and then saying it makes me think of Dante's divine comedy especially in the inferno where 
Dante writes about the crooked souls in hell who are bent forward eternally, always doomed to be staring down at the ground and kind of curved in upon oneself, never again to look up at the stars that so such a human endeavor for us to look up to the stars and ponder on um, the great questions of life. They're mm. forever bent in on themselves. And I think that in many ways, we sort of see an image of this, especially as we become more and more absorbed in our technologies and our social media platforms, hunched over wa walking down the sidewalk, locked into our smartphones. I think we mm. just need to take a break and look to the stars as it were and, and become reacquainted with who we are and what the purpose of life is. So I, yeah, I think we're just too closed in on ourselves. You know, I really like the, the visual image you just created there. When we walk around with our smartphones, we actually hunch over forward, really, uh, as my friend says, navel gazing, right? We're, yeah. we're looking into ourself rather than looking up to our creator and to our brothers and sisters around us. And we disconnect ourselves from the very humanity that allows us to exist, right? Like we're literally, we have that hell bent tendency as it said, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you mentioned that. Like, that's powerful stuff right there. Okay, so let's break this down a little more. There are over 30,000 plus different Christian faiths, denominations on planet Earth right now. Why do you think that the Christian world is so divided? Well, again, I think it comes down at its root to pride and to individualism, um, we can go back to the Reformation and see that this was kind of the first time in history where there's this big outbreak of a sort of individualistic interpretation of scripture. And that led to these fractures where people wanted to take the scriptures. And I think it, in some cases, twist the scriptures um, to their own destruction, to twist the scriptures, to accommodate the sort of way of life that they wanted to go, you know, to, to walk um, which they knew the Catholic Church and its traditional doctrine wouldn't support. So I think that behind all that was just this pride. And not to say that the Reformation wasn't also the result of issues within the Catholic Church itself and with broken Catholics. It certainly was. But uh, I think at this point, we're just, you know, we're, we're on this sort of crash course to further fracture. And yet behind the scenes, there's a lot of, a lot of reasons for hope as more and more Catholic and non-Catholic Christians are coming together to seek the truth and love and build great relationships. I agree totally. I think we're finally figuring it out that it's not working, right? Mm -hmm. All the divisiveness isn't working, right? And we're starting to have the conversations and we're still a ways out, right? But we're having the conversations. Mm -hmm. So BC Nation, we are speaking with Matt Nelson. He's a best-selling author of Just Whatever is the name of his book. It's on, the topic is religious indifference, how to help the spiritually indifferent find beliefs that really matter. You can uh, check Matt out at reasonablecatholic.com. That's reasonablecatholic.com. So Matt, we're going to get into this, but before I really want to give context, right? I want to hear your broken story. I want to hear what God has been up to in your life before we get into your viewpoint, uh, your worldview on religious indifference, because I, we got to connect with you, right? Who's, who's the source of, of the content we're about to talk about, right? So take us back um, to, to this time, right? Because it's very easy, I think, to know of God 
we're raised with God, right? And we know him in our head, but very few of us every, ever um, take it to the point where we experience God in a real way, almost tangible way. Um, take us back to that time. What was going on before you experienced God? What happened when you experienced God? And then how did that lead to where you are today? Paint okay. us a vivid picture of that story, would you? All right, sure. Well, as I've already mentioned, I was born into a family of Christians and my parents um, were both raised in Christian families and my dad entered the Catholic church uh, before him and my mom were married but because it was important for them to raise children in one faith. And so my dad went through the RCA pro RCIA program and eventually made that decision to join the Catholic church. So I was baptized as a baby and raised with the sacraments. And, um, and I mentioned this one event in my book that was some that that kind of was a little coming of age event in my life that kind of stuck with me all the way through i was in a car accident when i was 12 years old uh, we rolled our van there were six of us in the van six six children and two parents in fact we were on our way to a hockey game about half an hour away and we hit ice and three of us weren't wearing our seat belts and were thrown from the van mm. um I was thrown in front of the path of the rolling van and the van landed on top of me as it was rolling. And that's where it came to rest. So when I came back to consciousness, I was lying under this van and I was trapped under there for about an hour. Eventually they pulled me out and long story short, I walked out of the hospital on crutches the next day. All mm. of us survived the accident. Everybody walked away from it essentially in the end. And, and uh, at 12 years old, you know, prior to that, being raised in the faith, I had thought deeply from time to time about God and about what the purpose of life was. But this ultimately put me on a trajectory to think a lot deeper about life's big questions. When I left home at 18 years old to go to university, um, I was leaving home on a football scholarship to go to university four hours away from home. And so my new community essentially went from being my family and my youth group and my close friends back home to now being my football teammates. And there were some good guys on this team. There were even a, you know, a couple committed Christians, but it just wasn't the sort of community that in the end fostered a strengthening of my spiritual convictions. And so that, that combined with just the cultural atmosphere of a secular university eventually just whittled away at me until I was essentially spiritually um, indifferent. At one point I was, coming dangerously close to atheism. And even though I was never professed atheist, I was certainly living the life of one. Um, and so questions of religion just became increasingly irrelevant to me as I started to see these questions on the surface and come to believe that there was no real rational reason for believing a lot of these things. Um, but in addition to that, my life became so focused on me and on seeking the pleasures that I wanted to seek and you know, from partying on the weekends to travel and everything in between. I mean, I was just obsessed with finding the next fun thing to do. But I was starting to realize as I entered my mid-20s that I was not fulfilled. Um, I graduated with a teaching degree. 
I got really restless with that after about a year and a half. And then I took some courses and I became a financial consultant. Then after about eight months of that, I start, I decided that wasn't going to be right. So I applied to become a Mountie, a Royal Canadian Mounted Police. And I was almost through that whole process. And then I dropped out of that and went back to teaching. And I was just, man, I was all over the place. And uh, there was one chance experience and I, I should probably backpedal and say this wasn't chance at all. Obviously, it was Providence. But when I went back home, as I said, a lot of people don't know about my broken past. When I went back home at the age of 25 to live with my parents to save some money before going off to school again in Toronto, my former peers and friends back home who still believed I was an engaged Catholic invited me to help with music ministry at a weekend retreat. And I reluctantly accepted that invitation and attending that retreat uh, with my intentions really just to play music and then skip all the spiritual stuff. Cause I, at that time I was, I was, uh, I was very indifferent towards this whole thing and, and was uh, a doubter in many ways. I showed up and I played the music that I intended to play, but by the second day I felt a huge pull towards the confessional to make a good confession. And that ended up being my first good confession as an adult. And I experienced something in the, in the confessional that evening that put me on a trajectory towards where I am today. That was the beginning of my conversion back to the Catholic Church. What, would, what do you think you experienced in that confessional that changed I mean, the course of your life? Uh, the person of Christ. You know, we, we encounter Jesus every time we enter the confessional for the sacrament of reconciliation but God doesn't always reveal himself in a palpable way outside of through sort of the icon of the priest, right? Like if we look through the priest or along the priest, we can see that Christ is there beyond them. And that's where the forgiveness that we're receiving is ultimately coming from. That takes a bit of theological understanding to get that. But in the confessional on that particular evening, I encountered not the priest. I encountered a deeper reality in Jesus Christ. And I knew it was Jesus and I knew that he existed and that he was God and that his church was the church that I ought to be in. But I still had a lot of big questions. So I had a sort of interior conversion, the beginning of this emotional or psychological conversion, but intellectually I had about two years of hard searching before I eventually was quite satisfied intellectually. And this book, just whatever is essentially a compilation um, with a lot of narrative in between, uh, and hopefully it's not too abstract or boring. Uh, it's essentially a collection of those questions and answers that I found over that two-year seeking process. So let's get right into the book, right? All right. So I'm going to start it out this way. So BC Nation, listen up. This is a good conversation. We're talking religious indifference. All right, so here's the question. Jesus, Buddha, Allah, Sex, God, self, stuff, tech, prayer, Catholic, Christian, spiritual, none. What difference does it make? Sharing the faith used to make some people mad because it challenged and clashed with their own strong beliefs. Today, it makes a lot of people just yawn because they don't have a strong belief in anything. Catholic apologist Matt Nelson we have on the show with us today says that this religious indifference which means lack of caring it's even worse than hatred 
right? Lack of caring, it doesn't even exist to you. This religious indifference is the great spiritual sickness of our age, a product of the relativism that dominates modern culture. If you find fulfillment in your faith or lifestyle, great, the idea goes, but that doesn't mean it's true for me or anyone else. That's your truth. My truth is different. The consequences of this mentality are all around us. A neglect of truth, apathy towards the important questions in the universe, like why we exist, what is, what is God's plan for my life? And since we're designed to be fulfilled by God, not idle pleasures of the world, the result of religious indifference is this. One word, unhappiness. Matt, take it from there. What shows up for you in all that? Well, what comes to mind is the words of St. Paul in his first letter to the Corinthians, uh, chapter 15, verse 17. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then our faith is futile and we're still in our sins. In other words, if Christ is not who he said he was, if Christ is not the Messiah, the divine Messiah, that is, if he's not the second person of the Trinity, and if he was not raised from the dead, as Christians believe, then we're not saved. And salvation essentially for those who haven't really been able to pin down what that means, salvation is happiness. It's eternal, perfect happiness. And if Christ has not been raised, then that is still not accessible to us. We're searching in vain. You know, we believe as Catholics, as Christians, that we, we can get closer to the fulfillment of all our desires in this life but that we'll never really find it in this life. That's why C.S. Lewis was able to argue that uh, we have this innate desire to achieve ultimate fulfillment, and yet we never find it. And because every desire that exists innately in man has an end towards which it's ordered, we are ordered towards an ultimate fulfillment of our happiness. But since it's not found in this life, we're therefore destined for life beyond this life. That's his argument from desire. And I think he was onto something. But if Christ so, has not been raised, then that ultimate fulfillment is ultimately a delusion. So what I'm hearing you say, Matt, is that it's trying to feel fulfilled in this lifetime is like trying to chase the sunset, right? You, it, you, you just can't. The horizon's always moving, right? Yeah. You never can uh, obtain it. And, and, you know, but we keep pursuing it. And, and what I'm hearing you say is that the reason why we pursue it is because God put, BC Nation, God put in your heart his thumbprint that can only be accessed by him. Mm-hmm. It's like a keypad, right? The mm-hmm. fingerprint keypad, right? Only can be accessed by him. But yet we're constantly pursuing the things of the world, tech, stuff, sex, right? All the pleasures of the world. And we're trying to fill our hearts and somehow we never get fulfilled, do we? We always end up empty. And that's why every Friday we try to do it all over again, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, right? We become these weekend junkies to escape the lives that we don't even like because we're unhappy in it. Because most likely like Matt did, like I did in my twenties and thirties, we remove God from the center and we, and we put all these other things as our gods and we decided to worship them. So Matt, like, why do you think, right? You know, my listener, right? They're listening right now and they're saying, Matt, why do I even, why is it even important that God exists or doesn't exist? Or why do I need to care? Why can't I just keep going down the road I'm going? Like I got 
things to do and and it's just like a huge distraction and there's all these man-made religious organizations and everything and i'm just not about that there's too much politics and all this other stuff Mm -hmm. what do you say to them well again this was sort of the project of the book that we're discussing today is i wanted to take the reader through a step-by-step process of how to come to terms with the proposition that God matters and that ultimately that the God proclaimed by the Catholic church matters. And so in the first part of the book, I talk about something that I define as closed indifference. Now closed indifference reflects an extreme closed mindedness towards all religions. So this is the sort of indifference that we find among skeptics commonly atheists, agnostics, even deists or people, you know, deists are people who believe in, a God or some form of a divinity or something responsible for creation. But that God, if you will, is no longer present or active in the world today. Mm. It's an impersonal God. And so these sorts of skeptics, you know, wherever they fall on that spectrum, they tend to just see all religions as equally pointless and irrelevant. Often, these sorts of indifferentists are also what we would call materialists. That is, they believe that spiritual reality is just a fiction, that all that exists is at the, at, you know, at the end game, physical particles and fields of force, like physical reality is it. The problem with that I lay out in the book is that materialism, the belief in physical reality alone, leaves us without a good rational explanation for things that we take for granted every day from our intellects or our ability to think to our free will, you know, and these are faculties of the soul, but if spiritual reality doesn't exist, we don't have souls. We're essentially, as the biologist, Anthony Cashmore has said, we're essentially bags of particles. We have no more free will. He says than a bowl of sugar, if materialism is true. So there are big consequences to pay. If all that exists is material reality, you know, not to, you know, we just talk about free will and thoughts, that those things would just be sort of figments of our imagination. Um, not that we would even have an imagination if we didn't have a soul. But uh, on top of that, then it also just makes the possibility of life after death or an objective moral law, these sorts of things, also fictions. So there's a big price. How does this today. impact hope? Right, hoping in a better future, hoping in tomorrow, hoping in yep. something better than what is. How does that impact our hope? Well, one of the reasons that we have hope is because we often feel like there's a purpose to our lives, like there's something we should be striving towards that will fulfill us. But if if we're just chance conglomerations of matter that have evolved to this point, I mean, I'm I'm okay with evolution. But I think evolution, evolution needs to be seen through a theistic lens in order to really have any kind of hope. If all that exists is physical material, and if that's all that we are, then we have no real purpose. I mean, we can create what we believe to be purpose or meaning, but you know, the, the atheist philosopher Thomas Nagel, who I'm a big fan of, I think he's a great philosopher in many respects, um, you know, we can walk around pretending that these faculties exist within us, but ultimately if materialism is true, they don't. And so life is not only meaningless. He says life is absurd. He says, we want to matter from the outside. We don't want to impose meaning onto our lives. We want to discover meaning. We don't want to invent it. Mm. But if 
there's nothing really out there for us to discover that is going to lead us ultimately to an object, objective purpose and meaning in life, then life is ultimately hopeless. And as scientists tell us, all of physical reality is moving towards something they call heat death, which is essentially the death of physical reality. All that's left in the end game is sort of mist of useless particles. That's it. So do you think this is why we're seeing all these suicides coming up in the media right now? People ending their life. Is it because they, they lost hope? Oh, I think that's definitely a part of it. I mean, I don't know a lot about some of these, you know, I know who the names are, and, but I don't know a whole lot about their personal lives. But one of the things to note is like, this is sort of just a sample of the, this large and seem, it seems to me that it's an increasing suicide rate among the rich and the famous. These are people who have every means to impose meaning on their life. I mean, they've got the stuff, they've got the honor and the glory within the world. And yet like, shouldn't they have more hope than anybody? Like mm. hope is sort of this, like the state within us of looking forward and looking forward to the things that are to come. And if life is, if, if the good life is defined by what we possess, whether it be material things or whether it be glory and respect among man, then they should have nothing but more, like they should just have more hope for the future because things have went so well for them up to this point. And yet these are some of the most depressed people out there. BC Nation, listen to the wisdom explosions that Matt is dropping right now. Ask yourself that question. If the end game of what society teaches us this is the path to happiness, pursue wealth, pursue material goods, pursue fame. And when you get it, you will be happy. And yet we're seeing people that have reached that level of achievement and they're killing themselves, literally murdering their own lives because they are completely unfulfilled when they get to that level and they are completely unhappy and they see no purpose to even existing anymore and they end their life. Does that not tell us that it's all a lie? How could it be true if those that have achieved the prize are killing themselves? Like that's something to just sit with. Matt, what shows up for you in that? Well, it's sort of, you know, it's baffling in one sense, but I can also relate. I mean, How's I don't it? know. Well, I don't know if I was ever really a thoughtful nihilist or, or, you know, like the sort of person that believes that there's no ultimate purpose or meaning to life. But I think I was a sort of Epicurean, which is it's just a fancy kind of geeky way of saying somebody who believed that the ultimate fulfillment in life lies in pleasures. Um, you know, like that, that's, that's the sort of philosophy that's bred on university campuses everywhere. We all know this. And, and I was, you know, one of, one of the people to succumb to that. Um, and it's an empty feeling to be living that life, chasing the dragon, as it were, trying to find that next pleasure that's going to do it for you. Mm. And, um, I, so, uh, you know, in, in another way, I can relate to these people because, man, did I experience despair during those years. And, wow, did I experience a transformation when I came to Christ. Wow, powerful stuff. And I also can relate, Matt. 
right? Because when I ran off and did the prodigal son for five years in my life, and I became pretty much an atheist, right? There was no God in my life whatsoever. I abandoned him and I pursued the gods of pleasure, of sex, right? Of success. And I lived the lifestyle and I attained it. And I had everything that society tells me a man wants. I had the women, I had the cars, I had the money. And just like you said, Matt, I was literally for those five years, the most miserable person you would meet. I was hopeless. I had despair. I was unhappy. I was completely unsatisfied and unfulfilled and always just looking for that next payoff of pleasure to escape from the reality that I had created for myself. Mm -hmm. So I really get what you're saying there. So why do we keep chasing it? Why do we keep chasing this illusion, this mirage that the media keeps telling us is what we want when we see in reality, the people that had ever achieved it actually no longer want it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a mirage. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? Well, I mean, I'll give a theological answer. We're, we're weakened by sin or, you know, if you're, if you've got listeners out there that aren't theological, we're, we're broken. Let's just say we're broken. There's something not right with us. We don't always make the right decisions. We sometimes do something that's contrary to what we know to be in accordance with what's true. I mean, we do foolish things, but as Catholics, we understand that there's a reason for that. And it goes way back to the garden of Eden. Now you mentioned something about the culture and how it tells us that we should go for it. I mean, pleasures, sex, money, fame, go for it, go for it. And then, you know, we get onto our social media platforms. It's a, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, it's essentially a go for it platform. Now I have Facebook. Um, I am not opposed to social media. I think it's a great, it can be a great tool, but I think we need to be on our guard. There's fewer things I think out there today, more addictive than our social media platforms. So we need to be on our guard as it is with all good things. I mean, food without food, we die. But at the same time, food can be our worst enemy. So we, we just got to be, we got to be wise. So you mentioned the Garden of Eden. Is mm-hmm. this the same lie? 2000, well, more than that. What it, but is this the same lie of the enemy of the serpent? When he says, take the apple, go for it, go for it. It's what you want. And they're like, you know, Eve is like, no, God said, no, no. Can you really trust him? Did he really say no? You know, and these are the two questions I bring up all the time, right? The two lies of the enemy that he's been selling us for over 2,000 years is, well, more than 2,000 years, but is God really a good father? Mm -hmm. And can you trust him? Mm -hmm. Right? Those are the two lies. Mm -hmm. And, and, And he keeps using it. And he's like, no, instead, go for the apple. Go for the apple, the pleasure, the success, the knowledge, the wisdom. Some of my best atheist friends, they are brilliant intellectual individuals. Brilliant, right? They pursue knowledge as their God. So they believe in a God. They just, they, they call it knowledge, right? Yeah. But they are the most saddest, angriest, <laughs> miserable people I know. Mm-hmm. So like the outcome, I don't get, right? So bringing this, all wrapping this up in a bow of religious indifference, you know, BC Nation, you may be asking yourself, why do I need to care? Because look at the alternative. 
the alternative of not believing that there is a God leaves you with self, navel-gazing, as, as Matt brought up. And it's incomplete. It's empty. It's lonely. Yeah. Matt, what do you want to add to that? Well, let's go back to the Garden of Eden one more time and recall what it is that the serpent says. What, is, what does the devil say when he's tempting Eve in the garden? He says, you shall be as gods. Mm. He's offering them essentially a lie, but that lie is you will be your own God. Mm-hmm. Robert Cardinal Seurat, who I believe is just a very wise voice in the church today, in his book, God or Nothing, he says, man no longer reflects upon his relationship with God because he himself intends to become God. Whoa. Yeah. And he's not hitting on something new. What he's hitting on is something that has been a problem, a temptation since the beginning. But what's different about today is that our culture is more enabling than I think any culture prior. How does that happen? Well, in one way, just the prominence of relativism, you know, this, especially moral relativism, like choose your own morality. There is no objective moral law, whatever works for you. That's your business. Um, that's one issue. I mean, the, uh, the moral Why law. Why does that gi- not work? Well, because the moral law giver is not us. It's, it's God. And there is a sort like, I mean, God is the author of life. So he knows what works best for us. He made us, he designed us and he designed us for a purpose. And so the objective moral law, that is the law of how to behave, of how to, how to act towards ourselves and others exists to help us live the best life possible. But when we try to create our own moral law, that just ultimately leads to chaos. And that's why we find in the most tyrannical societies of the past where certain individuals impose their personal morality on others, we see total destruction. It's not a good thing. So what, what this culture is doing is it's telling us, go for it, choose your own morality. And on top of that, it's also providing us with more power at our fingertips than we've ever had before. I mean, we used to rely on others like crazy. If we needed to deposit a check into our bank account, we had to go to the bank and we had to use the expertise of the bank teller in order to get that check in, into our account. Now we can just take our smartphone out, take a picture of the check, and it's in our, it's in our account. You know, we, we have spell check now. We don't really need to know grammar because our computer will do it for us. Um, there's, you know, there's so many things that technology offers us that kind of just opens the door for us to be lazy and to not develop ourselves. So again, I always have to say this because there's always that fear that people are going to think, oh, there's just another one of those ultra traditionalists that doesn't like technology. I love technology, but I'm skeptical like J.R.R. Tolkien was of our abilities to be able to use our technology properly without a certain degree of vigilance. We have to be wise with the greatest tools that we've been given. You know, that's, that's powerful. It's, um, you know, all this technology, it's, uh, it's making us more disconnected. Um, I used to use this expression when I taught Sunday school to eighth graders. And I, I would look at them and I said, I have an acronym. And I'd point to one kid and I'd say, you, Y-O-U, your own universe. And you're the God of your own little universe. 
and you're walking around like you're the only one that exists and it's your own universe is the only one that exists except little Jane over here. She also has her own universe. And then Bob has his own universe and Tommy has his own universe, so on and so forth times 7 billion. So there's all these individual little universes that we think exist and we're walking around and we're disconnecting from each other and we're not getting the reality that we're all one in one universe that is created by one God mm -hmm. that we're meant to worship and honor. And I think what you're saying, what I'm hearing you say is when we break away, like BC nation, why should you care about religion and, and being connected to God? Because life without God is false. It's a lie. And it leads to just darkness and emptiness and despair and loneliness and suicide, mm -hmm. taking your own freaking life because you don't want to live anymore. That's why you should care. And if you don't believe what Matt's saying, if you don't believe what I'm saying, go for it, right? Listen to the enemy. Go for it. Try it. Experience what Matt experienced firsthand in his life. It was a lie. It left him empty and despairing. Mm -hmm. Experience what I experienced in my life. It was a lie. It left me empty and despairing. If I had not had my Christian roots, I probably would have ended my own life. I was in that much of darkness, right? So Matt, bring this all the way around. Like, what do you want to say to the listener right now? Why should I care? Okay. Well, first, let me just say, imagine a world where we all created our own rules of the road. So if you want to drive on the right side of the road, go for it. If you want to drive on the left, it's, a, it's up to you. I mean, if you want to drive as fast as your car will go, go for it. Or if you want to take it really slow, dangerously slow, hey, you decide. Now imagine that there's a sort of rule, set of rules of the road for everybody in just the game of life. And imagine if we're all just choosing our own way. It's gonna lead to chaos just like it would in the rules of the road example or thought experiment that I just offered. There is a best way to live, there is. There's a best way to live and it's out there to be discovered. It's not something we can invent for ourselves. As human persons who are not a chance accident of the universe, but as human per persons who exist with a purpose, who have been loved into existence and have an eternal destiny of ultimate fulfillment forever and ever, there is one rule of the road that exists for all of us, and it is love the Lord your God. That's where it all starts. And from that trickles down all of the other secondary rules that will lead you to happiness. So God matters because happiness matters. And that's probably the pithiest way I could put it. That's powerful. You know, a friend of mine uh, just the other day created a distinction. He said, you know, my whole life I was chasing fun, thinking it was happiness. Mm-hmm but the fun actually never made me happy, right? It was fun. It was exciting. It was thrilling. I went with all those hot girls and I, and I pursued sex and pleasure and everything, but I constantly needed more, more, more because I actually truly wasn't happy on the inside. Yeah. Right. So there's a distinction there. Are you BC nation pursuing fun or are you pursuing happiness, right? Happiness and joy and peace 
is the end result when you pursue God, when you connect with God, right? Because he's the provider of those things. Mm -hmm. You pursue fun, it's empty because there's no end game and you Mm -hmm. constantly need more, 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 more. And then eventually you burn out (laughs) and something bad happens, right, Matt? Mm -hmm. Matt, let me ask you this. If you were being 100% transparent right now, in what area of this religious indifference of this topic do you maybe still struggle with? Mm -hmm. That is a great question. Um, I could certainly identify areas in all three of the major areas of indifference that I identify in the book. Um, But I would say that one area that I really struggle with is in the second, this is in regards to the second part of the book on open indifference. So we talked about closed-mindedness. Now I'm talking about extreme open-mindedness where all religions are equal and all religions are the same, which results in Jesus being reduced to just one spiritual master among many. And I think that I could really work on being aware every day in everything I do of the presence of the person of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. I think that sometimes I become indifferent to the fact that Christ is always present to me and Mm. that he's a real, I mean, he's a real person. In fact, all three persons of the blessed Trinity are not just real persons. They're the most real thing in all of existence, their existence itself, which that's what St. Thomas would teach us in his Summa, which is, again, that's sort of a mind blowing insight that, um, it more of is an appeal to the head to the heart but I think even through that we can reach the heart God is more present to us as Saint Augustine than we are to ourselves and I think I often fail to remember that and feel in isolation when really I'm, I never am let me ask you this first off I acknowledge you for going there and just being real and say hey I sometimes struggle with you know making God truly present in my day-to-day life right And I think we all do with that. So thank you for, you know, just admitting that, right? Why do you think that that's a struggle for you? Like, what do you think is missing? Maybe that you're, could be doing that you're not doing where God with, where Jesus would be present in your day-to-day life. Mm -hmm. Well, I think I can work on my day-to-day interior life. Um, We've become, you know, what does that look like? All right. So I should, like, I mean, to put it really simple, I should be praying every day, at a, you know, and, and the spiritual masters would say, have a set time every day, mm. have a set time every day that you're committed to spending time with the Lord. And I think I can do a better job of being consistent with that, you know, because a lot on a lot of days I enter the day saying, I'm going to find time to pray. And the next thing I know, I'm waking up the next day saying, oh, shoot, yesterday was not a good day for me spiritually. I'm going to try again today. So I think just making that time, setting a time and spending time with the Lord. And um, yeah, just doesn't have to be a time of just you chattering away to God. I mean, a lot of times the most powerful experience of prayer is sitting back and resting with the Lord. Remember St. Augustine, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. Sometimes we just got to rest with God and I need to do that more. Man. I like it. That's powerful, right? Uh, BC Nation, maybe you're hearing some of your own thoughts in Matt's words. Um, are you struggling to uh, spend time, you know, dedicate an hour with God uh, every day? Maybe you start with 10 minutes, right? 
but do you have that, that set time? As a friend of mine used to say, Joseph, if you're planning your goals for tomorrow, tomorrow, uh, tomorrow in the morning, you've already failed for the day, mm-hmm. right? He's like, you got to plan the goals for tomorrow tonight, right? And, and so you have to be intentional, BC Nation. Be intentional uh, the same way, you know, you don't show up to work without, you know, a plan or a set time that to show up. You know that beforehand. Why is God less? Why do, you, why do we hold God in lower esteem? Right. So that's, that's a great thing for all of us to wrestle with. Matt, thanks for going there. So Matt, I think it's human to experience a crisis of faith, right? Um, to, to go through those times, like you mentioned in your twenties, where you just didn't believe God existed at all. Uh, I went through it myself. What do you want to say to the person listening right now? Who's just given up on God altogether. Maybe something traumatic happened in their childhood or something recently where they just can't, they're wrestling with God can't possibly exist because if he did, why did he let that happen to me? Mm -hmm. What do you want to say to that person right now? I would just say, don't close yourself up completely to that conversation. I mean, what happens a lot of times is when something, a crisis of faith happens, um, we can become so hardened that we're not open to discussing the possibility that in the long run, all justice is realized and uh, and indeed a loving, merciful God will offer us something that is so good for all of eternity that all the sufferings of this life are nothing compared to that, as St. Paul would say. So I would just say, stay open to the conversations about the possibility that God really does love you and have a plan of ultimate fulfillment for you. Stay open to the conversation. Awesome advice. And I'm going to piggyback on Matt's wisdom there. If you are still in the place, BC Nation, where you're wrestling with, does God exist? If you're spiritually indifferent, why does it matter? I just ask you, I encourage you, look up to heaven like my good friend uh, once did when she was agnostic. And she asked a simple question, God, if you exist, show me in my life, show me you exist. I want to believe, I want to have a purpose. And I'll tell you this, God did. He showed up in her life through different people and situations where she had this spiritual moment where she literally tangibly experienced God. And in a moment, God showed up and she felt his presence. And she's like, Joseph, I can't describe it. I just knew in that moment, God exists. He was my father and I was loved. If that's what you want, then look up to heaven and say, God, if you exist, show me you exist in my life. I want to believe and be open. Like Matt said, you have to be open. Okay. And God will do that for you. Matt, we're going to wrap the show up. What is the one thing that you want the world to know? about having a relationship with God? God always gives back more than you can imagine. He's never outdone in generosity. Got it. And what's the one thing you want the world to know about not having a relationship with God? I just want people to know that just because you don't have a relationship with God now, or if you feel like that relationship has been jeopardized, 
that it's never too late and you're never too far gone to turn back. Just remember that Jesus Christ went all the way into the depths of hell. He went all the way down, as Bishop Barron would say, to the very depths of the most broken people, right down to Satan. And anyone who's willing to follow him back, he took with him. You're never too far gone. I love that advice. So if you're listening right now and you think you're too far gone, just know that there is no distance that your God will not travel to come and find you and return you to his house. He loves you that much. And I know that's hard to believe when you're in it. I get it. When you're in the darkness and you're far away and you turn your back, I was there. I did that. But I'm telling you, if your life and certain areas of your life are not working right now, just turn back to God. Just ask him to say, God, come and find me. I don't know how to get out. Right. I'm in the darkness. I went too far. You know, and he promises, you're the lost sheep. You're the one out of the 99. He leaves all the rest and he will come and find you and bring you back to the fold. So praise God for that. Matt, we are listening with uh, Matt Nelson. Matt Nelson, um, you can find him at uh, reasonablecatholic.com. That's reasonablecatholic.com. Go pick up a copy of his book, Just Whatever, How to Help the Spiritually Indifferent Find Beliefs That Really Matter. Matt, this has been an awesome time chatting with you. Before we go, this is my favorite part of the show. I'd like to welcome you to the confession round. In this confession round, I'm going to ask you 12 quick fire questions. You'll have about three seconds to answer each. Don't overthink it. First thing that comes to you. Are you ready, sir? Yeah, you bet. Let's do it. All right, cool. You love the name, I know. Matt, what is your favorite sound? Uh, Beethoven. Nice. What's your least favorite sound? chewing chewing got it when you were a child what did you want to be when you grew up a paleontologist uh they studied dinosaurs yeah dinosaurs yeah yeah got it matt what are you most afraid of oh death death got it what did you spend way too much time doing in your 20s partying (laughs) what secret fear do you have about God that he doesn't exist wow that's real that's raw I love it that's your humanity right there what do you wish you had learned sooner about God that his merciful is limitless that his mercy is limitless what's a new habit you want to form Wake up at the same time every day. (laughs) Yeah, to do your holy hour, right? (laughs) And uh, what's a bad habit you want to break? Not planning my day the night before. Boom. (laughs) Matt, I'm challenging you on air right now. Buddy, do you accept the challenge? Yeah, let's let's do it. All right. This is recorded, man. This is going across the the world. People in over 34 countries are going to hear that commitment. Okay. All right, Matt. Matt, pick three words to describe who you are now. Growing. um, Intelligent. Oh, man. What was the second one? Intelligent. Growing, intelligent, and? And, um... Oh man, this is, I don't like the, I don't like this one. Um, and let's say, uh, I love it. <laughs> humbled. 
Humbled. Got it. Pick three words to describe who you were before you experienced God in your life. Self-centered. Um, distracted. Mm-hmm. And... phony wow got that one imagine sometime in the distant future and there you are standing in front of your tombstone read to us what it says on it this man loved his wife and his children with all his heart but god first boom That's a powerful life right there, life of meaning. And last question, Matt, if you could come back to life after you died and tell your wife, your children, all those you loved, only one piece of advice, what would you say to them? Never doubt in the mercy of God. Never doubt in the mercy of God. Love it. Matt, thanks for joining us today. What's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? Yeah, I would, I would send people to reasonablecatholic.com, which is my uh, website where I'm present on a regular basis and also my Facebook page, just my name, Matt Nelson. You can look me up there. Matt Nelson, you are a rock star for God, my brother. I'd like to wish you God's love, God's forgiveness, and God's transformation. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. BC Nation, we exceeded our six-month goal. We now have listeners in over 34 countries and counting. It's time to step up our game. This is where you come in. I'd like to reach the goal of over 60 countries. Let's get to 60 countries and spread the message of God's love, his transformation. Let's talk about the real topics. Let's talk about why the world's not working. Let's talk about spiritual indifference, right? Let's talk about all these really cool subject matters, the things we actually wrestle with day to day. Go to brokencatholic.com. That's brokencatholic.com. Become a partner of the show. Join me in this vision. I am Joseph Warren, and you were made for greatness. So stop being a wuss and start being a winner. Have a blessed day. I'll see you right back here next week. God bless you.